good evening. Everybody doing well tonight? We're going to talk about Isaiah and Galatians tonight. All right. We will not get into Ephesians yet. We'll do Ephesians next week. <clears throat> and so we'll try to cover all of Ephesians next week, which I think we read through. We may not read all of Ephesians in the next week, but we'll try to cover most of it. Two weeks from tonight, we'll be in Colossians. So we'll be doing almost a book in the New Testament. Also be in Jeremiah by that time. So Isaiah will wrap up in the next uh, little bit. Let me tell you, it was uh, Jack last week that mentioned something about Isaiah being a miniature Bible or a comparison of the Bible. I think it was Jack. Somebody said that. Uh, and I found this week that it is in some ways because just of some arbitrary things. Okay. Now, when I say arbitrary, that doesn't mean bad. It just uh, they say that because there are how many chapters in the book of Isaiah? Sixty-six. And there are how many chapters? I mean, books in the Bible. There are sixty-six. Right. Well, that's great. Except they didn't add chapters to Isaiah until much later. It's not like Isaiah chapterized it. Okay. So that's there. But when they divide the chapters up, there are two sections of Isaiah. Anybody know where that that divides? It's in 40 through 66. So if you do that, if there's 66 books of the Bible, how many Old Testament books are there? 39. And in Isaiah, we divide it 1 through 39. And then uh, there are 27. And so 40 through 66. I know 66 minus 40 is 26, but you add the 40 back in, and it's 27. So you have 39 and 27, right? And so you have that divide. There are those that say it corresponds to the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the first 39 chapters of the book Isaiah is much more judgmental, much more uh, of God kind of overbearing in his punishment, people would say. And then the second 27 chapters are of consolation. It begins with the chapter that John the Baptist would use. It uses and references Jesus a lot. And when you get to the end of Isaiah, it talks about the end of time. And so they say it's almost like a miniature New Testament. So that's where some of that discussion comes from. All right. So let's talk about where we are right now, which is in the early 20s, up until into chapter 40 a little bit. Questions you have, things you notice, things you want to know. Um, Assyria is modern-day Turkey, that area. I say that cautiously. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. Um, Iran is the Persian Empire. Uh, Turkey was kind of that Assyrian place, if if my memory serves me correctly, and don't quote me on that. Moab, Edom, and all that would have been just in that Middle Eastern, right kind of around um, Israel, would have been right in that area. Now, most of it it depends on what time frame you're talking about, too. Uh, I mean, some of it... There are definitely lands that Israel occupies today that Moab would have been would have occupied at times in Edom, but there are also lands that Israel more than what Israel occupies today that they occupied at some time. You know, it was a very fluid uh, political map, if you will, back then. And so there's some of that, but but they're mainly in the areas in the in the eastern side of that, and so uh, Jordan and uh, Syria, modern day Syria. Uh, than even uh, smaller places, Kuwait, Qatar, some of those right in that area. Right, and Edom, you remember, was uh, kind of because, the, you know, he left the Israelite people and 
Edomites back in the Old Testament. By the way, I don't know if you saw this or not, but it was on CNN. It may still be on CNN uh, today. Uh, CNN.com, their, their homepage, had a story about the fact that, they, that uh, scientists now think that the Israelites crossed at the Nile. And they figured out how hard the wind would have to blow and where it could do it and exactly for this to cross and all. And it was, it was interesting. But it just, you know, and the Bible doesn't get caught up on where they crossed. The Bible just says they crossed and God did it. And they, did, they weren't out there taking wind speeds with gauges trying to figure it out. They just knew God had done it. So it was just an interesting article this week. So other questions, thoughts? Things you wonder about in Isaiah. E L I A K I M. Eliakim. <laughs> Marital counseling available post post Bible study. The truth is nobody really knows. Because there would not have there they didn't have vowel pointings in the original language. Those were added. I mean they had them when they spoke, but they when the Hebrew Bible when it was written had no vowels in it. Those were added by scribes much later. I read them fast and act like I know what I'm doing. And then let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, the, the, the vowels were added by later scribes. They, they're not in the original Hebrew text. And so some of that is interpretation, even in scribal. It doesn't change what the person did, but, but how they pronounced or, or whatever. Other questions, comments, thoughts? How do you find Isaiah as a reading? It's tough, right? It gets a little easier once you get to chapter 40. You'll recognize some more stuff. There are those moments in there when you recognize different things. Uh, uh, I, I ran across my my, my uh, life verse in the midst of this reading this week. Although it reads so differently, it was I had to make sure I, that that's it. Yeah, but it reads differently. My life verse is Isaiah 26.8. Uh, or 28.6, excuse me, Isaiah 28.6, which is, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth. Uh, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. And uh, that comes from Isaiah 28.6. It reads differently in the New Living Translation that I'm reading. But uh, So you kind of run across those every now and then. Once you get into Isaiah 40, I mean, there's also that uh, you get into Isaiah you get into Isaiah 40, there's about strength with mount up on wings like eagles. There's... Uh, You'll, in 52 and 53, you'll get the suffering servant, the Christ. I mean, you know, so there are those those passages. 40 will read much different than 39 and previously. But the point of Isaiah, where we were this week, was really twofold. One is he finishes up his condemnation of 11 different nations, and he turns his attention from the nations to the erects, which is the land, depending on... and. and you have to understand that the Israelites' land was everything. Land possession was vital. So it goes from the land to a broader national, international scale. And you begin to get these things about what the day of the Lord will look like, what that will be like. And you found that the Lord will judge his enemies, the, uh, preserve his people, and yet he will also restore the nation eventually. Now that is mostly post-apocalyptic. So that's post, or at the, what we read in Revelation is part of what they're talking about. But you have to realize, even in the first 39, verse, 39 chapters of Isaiah, he'll have those things interspersed, but he is mainly speaking to the people of his day. Once you get to chapter 40 and following, he's speaking to the people in Babylonian captivity and people even into our generation and generations ahead uh, are coming behind us so that 
it's a different kind of focus. So you see that. You see him warning about Jerusalem. There's that kind of a, a pretty uh, contentious part where he says that uh, uh, he's not going to he's not going to entrust his 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 kind of ruling to Jerusalem at this time because their leaders are a bunch of drunks and he's not going to do that for them and. He gets pretty harsh about him. He, he gets on to Samaria and all those places, and you can hear the Israelites going, exactly, get them, go get them, God. And then he says, by the way, none of you are any better. And so you have that whole description in there. Um, and then you have uh, the set, the last part of that is he, we did get King Hezekiah's story again, right? I mean, we read that story and we got it again because Isaiah plays an important role and helps to set kind of where we are in that. So, other stuff in there where, where are you saying September 20th okay what 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 verses chapter 34 yeah um, yeah it, it's it's I mean Isaiah speaks pretty boldly about the fact that there's not really anybody much on the earth right now doing what God has called them to do they're not worshiping like they're supposed to they're not following his commands like they're supposed to so it, it's a direct now, it can be applicable to be, to any day. I mean, if there's any day where there are nations of the world, which we know there are many uh, peoples of the world that are not uh, following him. Uh, in their day, the word nations there would be much more geopolitical. So you're looking at the Moabites, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. In our day, we understand that much more tribally, culturally. And so uh, nations there may not need geographical outlines, uh, America, Britain, Greece, it may mean people groups or specific groups of people. Now, United States could be might be considered that, although we're a pretty heterogeneous unit of people. We're different in a lot of ways. Uh, Tennessee is different than the culture in Seattle. Uh, that's different than the culture in Philadelphia. That's different than New Mexico. That's different than Hawaii. So we're different, even though we're in the same nation, but we may be different nationality. Or And I don't even mean what color your skin is, just you know, where you live and grew up, ethnicity and culture and socioeconomic and all that. And so he is speaking directly to those people at that time. Nations of the earth, listen up, you're not doing. But it also served, I mean, throughout the history of Israel and throughout Christian history as remind us to do what God has called us to do. Not anymore out of obligation to keep the law, but out of appreciation for what God has done. Now, yeah, I mean, there are definite... Uh, he tells in detail, but he also tells in uh, specific, he tells in detail, but in details that could be um, prognosticated upon other times in history. There's a dual fulfillment kind of access there. So, And he also speaks symbolically in a lot of ways. I mean, when it, the, the heavens will melt away and disappear like a rolled up scroll. Well, that, there's some symbolic language there that, you know, very much like the stars will fall from the sky like withered leaves from a grapevine or shriveled figs from a fig tree. Those are that that means destruction's coming. But I don't I don't know that it means that it's actually going to roll up like a scroll. I mean, it's a symbolic language, much like when we get to Revelation, the last three weeks of December, we'll be talking about that. So, all right. Comments, questions, stuff you want to know? Yes, that that's been debated for centuries. I think it's one author. I think the, the, even to the point that in some in some uh, biblical institutions they'll have 
First Isaiah and Deutero Isaiah, what they'll call it. They'll split them. I think it's one book. I just think it's two different focuses. Now, do I think he sat down and he wrote Isaiah 1 through 66 in one writing? No. So do I have a problem if he wrote the first 39 chapters over a two-year period and then he wrote 40 through 66 at a later time and maybe originally they weren't one collective group but that they had been put together, that that could have happened, you know, with different focuses going on in his mind. Um, much like today, if you were to sit down and they're complementary, they're not contradictory, they're complementary. And so uh, if someone were to write a two-part novel, let's say, you know, they put out one part this year and one part in two years, they wouldn't be the same book, but they would carry the same themes or be that way, a miniseries almost. So I think he wrote them both, but there are definitely people that question that. And when you and the reason they think that because when you read them they do read differently, and 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 like you said that there's a simple explanation of it, but it's because they're two different focus they're two different points of reference in what's happening and so I, I don't have any problem at all I mean church tradition for centuries was that Isaiah wrote it all and then in the last couple of hundred years people have come well I don't know about that it's kind of like in the New Testament people say oh, are you sure Paul wrote that well I mean for eighteen hundred years, everybody thought Paul wrote it. Why am I going to decide 2,000 years later I knew better than the people that were 100 years or 50 years apart from it? You know. Yeah, I don't know what that verse is. Yeah, I mean, the, the biblical testimony and the church fathers all say it was one Isaiah, one writer of Isaiah. Right. Anything else? The sundial moved backwards. I've seen it, but it's not one with a lot Unfortunately, it's not one with tons of validity. It's one of those that on truthorfiction.com or snopes.com they kind of debunk. Not that that not I mean the, the the not that they would debunk the Bible. They're just saying that they they kind of they don't have to go that far back to figure it out. They can figure out the patterns sooner. But I've I, I have seen I've received it numerous occasions over the last. Years. Other things. Yeah. What, what always strikes me about that whole story, not, not so much the signs, is that he's given the extra years of life, right? He prays, he gives the extra year of life, and then almost immediately he messes up. I mean, and then if you're the king of a country, shouldn't you know when an enemy's going, oh, we'd love to see your storehouses. Show us where you keep all the good stuff. Let's walk in there. Let's find it. Where's all your gold and your armaments? Man, this is amazing. Can we see everything? Now, I mean, can you imagine how ridiculous it would be if the head of the Russian government came over and Obama said, let's show you everything we have, all right, which is what the king did right there, so. Yeah, it was because, well, I mean, because Babylon wants to come be a part of us. I mean, what it would be similar to is, um, this is deriding in any way, but, you know, um, uh, the United States going to Mexico and the Mexican government, like, we, let's show you all that we have, you know, because our neighbor from the north who's the strong, powerful superpowers come in and they want to see and absolutely we want to be good guests, I mean, good hosts and all that other stuff. Going to be taken, yeah. yeah. I think that the I looked at that a little bit, Kathy. I think the better understanding of that is he says it's deserved. Like not like 
all right, that'll be great. But like, you know what? You're right. Like, this is a good decision by the Lord or a good thing. It will be because it does say in the New Living, it will be this. This will be good. Is that how it says it? Actually, it's well. There's two things. The one is that it will be right. But then there is this part where Hezekiah, there is that part of it too, that Hezekiah is glad because there won't be any trouble in his lifetime. That's going to happen later. So it's kind of a delayed and, a, you know, you're right, but I'm glad it's not going to happen while I'm here. It, well, yeah, he's king. He is kind of selfish. What's that? Yeah, it's what's, you know. We're not, we're not gonna worry about not gonna worry about the next generation. I'm just worried about mine. As long as mine's all right, I'm okay. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I really like about the Old Testament. It doesn't try to gloss over these guys. It doesn't try to make them superheroes that always did right. Even the most. I mean, you still just see this over. Who's the most popular king for God? He always refers to David, right? But yet David had major issues, and it doesn't cover them up. You know, a lot of books would cover them up and say. Well, he never did wrong, but it, it puts it out there what he did wrong. So. All right, anything else before we move on to Galatians? Yes, Miss Teresa. Well, part of that goes back to, um, to kind of one of the points in Isaiah is that that measuring line, that plumb line, is we're guarding you against God, against what he desires. And so he, he is the standard. He is the measure. He is the constant, if you will. And so when you get to Edom and he's going to stretch that out, it's going to be according to his glory and his holiness and his ability to judge because he is the ruling and the measuring. You know, they, uh, it was a, back then they didn't have a formalized, you couldn't go to Kmart and everybody get the same ruler. They didn't have a formalized way of knowing weights and measurements. And so they always talked about a man's honesty by how he, um, weighed scales, how he measured lines. And so they wanted something that was true and right. And that plumb line was one of the surest ways they had to measure true and right. And so that first part is just that, that God is that. His law and who he is is that. And the second one is he's going to judge according to that. And then that will mean destruction and justice and all of that will come upon those people that have violated his so let's talk about this. Who is Edom? Where did they come from? Esau, right? Remember Esau and Jacob? He he steals the birthright. He steals the inheritance. And Esau goes away. And then when he comes back and he meets the Edomites, Esau is the leader of that. And so the reason Edom is so mentioned, it's just like the Samaritans in the New Testament, is because they were kind of Israelites once removed. They were... They should have been a part, but they weren't. They had turned their backs on these things, and so you have that thing. They would have been. They would have. I can find exactly where that would have been, um, but they would have been. And like I said, some of that's dependent upon uh, where they were. If you look, yeah, it is southeast of modern day Israel, right under Moab. Yeah, on the way to. Yeah, to go up to the north over the Dead Sea. So, if you go, Israel is kind of on that that right around the Dead Sea. It is just southeast of the Dead Sea is where Edom was. They would, yeah. I mean, they are from that area. Yeah. I'm, now, what nationality they would be, I'm not 
All right, let's go to Galatians. We'll finish up Isaiah next week. I have handouts for you. Everybody's so excited. I can hear it in here. Applause, please. You can sit down. It's not that exciting, all right? All right, this is an outline of Galatians with some of the themes in it. So my goal is to give you all a couple, one of these for each book we study from now on in the New Testament. The main reason is because I know some people's websites that are professors that have done this and made it available. So I'm not recreating the wheel here. This is from the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Daniel Aiken. And so you only are required to be able to recall 85% of this information to pass this course. If you've got extras, just hold them to the end. All right? No. They are on Wake Forest Old Campus. They bought it after Wake Forest moved to... Wake Forest is no longer at Wake Forest. They're uh, Winston-Salem. When they moved to Winston-Salem, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary bought their land. There may have been a loose association. I mean, Wake Forest at one time was a Southern Baptist school. They are no longer that. Uh, but uh, Southeastern, is a, its its main affiliation is Southern Baptist Convention. It's one of the six seminaries. So, But... Look at this real quickly, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the book in just a moment. But you can see that it it it, it falls into three pretty distinct sections. There's the personal address, the doctrinal argument, and the practical admonition. It tells you up in the right hand corner. It's filled with passion and zeal. It heard that Galatians Christians were falling away from the true gospel of grace, turning to legalism, works based approach. This is on the top right for the occasion. That just means why it was written. Uh, he desired to turn them back to the freedom of salvation by faith alone. In doing so, he urged not only is the sinner saved by grace, but he lives by grace. Grace is the way to life and the way of life. Here's what happened in Galatia. Uh, Paul would have planted this church. Most people think it's South Galatia in his first missionary journey. Uh, because of the what is written, because of how it's written, most people think that this is written before the Council of Jerusalem. That is in Acts chapter 15, which means that it would be written before 50 A.D. So you're looking at 17 years removed from Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. And it makes it the earliest writing of the New Testament. Or the earliest, um, it's at least the earliest of Paul's letters, more than likely. Okay, And so you have this um, thing. Now there will be, let me, re- let me say this, there will be portions of the New Testament that might date a little earlier because when you get to something like Philippians chapter 2, you know the hymn about Christ uh, that let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus that he who was equal with God. Most people think that is an early worship hymn and they think that that may even be 34, 35, 36 AD. So the hymn itself that he's quoting there but that the writing was later than that. And so you're looking at 48 to 49 is when it was written. Uh, what had happened is he had planted this church, he had walked away, and then there were a group of people called the Judaizers that would come in and tell them that in order to be a Christian, not only must you be leaving Jesus, but you must also be a full-fledged Jew, which means that you Gentiles need to go get circumcised. You need to go through all the customs, the rituals. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You must also do this. And so that's why Paul fights so adamantly against this. You have that discussion in here 
one of the reasons they say it's before the Council of Jerusalem because it doesn't seem like anything's been decided on a worldwide level from this. He doesn't reference that council. He just says, this is my opinion. All right? Nobody, almost almost absolutely nobody disputes Paul wrote this letter. Okay? So uh, his conversion and missionary activities are recorded prominently. This was probably his first epistle. Uh, some things that are important about it, it sets forth his apostolic authority. It presents doctrine of justification by faith alone. Defends Christian liberty, which we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. Presents a picture of the apostolic age. It kind of shows us some discussion going on in the first apostles. Clearly shows the difference between Christianity and Judaism. And here's kind of a neat thing. It was the catalyst for what we're doing now. Because what we're doing now is only as a result of the Reformation that happened a few hundred years ago. Actually, 500 years ago, the Reformation happened. And the Reformation happened because a guy named Martin Luther, it's not the only reason, but a major reason, nailed 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg. And he did that after he read Galatians and felt like the Catholic Church was not preaching the gospel and that you were saved by grace, faith, no works. All right? In fact, Martin Luther said this about this. Martin Luther, who lived from 1483 to 1546, he said, The epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it I am as it were in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Catherine was his wife's name. So he was wedded to this book. All right? So that's basic descriptions. What questions do you have? There were a couple of things. One one is it's... um, just the tone it has when it's being written. Um, there's the main thing they use in dating this letter is that it is um, that it doesn't reference things that are later described in the book of Acts that we know approximately when those things happened. We're pretty sure the council at Jerusalem, through external evidence, things that are written outside the Bible, things that are written in the Bible timelines, was around AD 50. Okay. Well, Paul doesn't reference it at all, doesn't talk about it. And it sounds as if when you read the book of Galatians, that kind of controversy is still really brewing. So you have that. Um, You have this, uh, his writing style is very primitive in here. The way he writes, the arguments he uses, not that that doesn't mean they're not good. They're just, he becomes more sophisticated in his arguments as he goes along. Um, And so, there's ex, they, they have what they call external evidence, and there are, um, in the first century, the church fathers would write about his first epistle, the one he wrote to the Galatians, or they'll date them. Uh, that was written, you know, during, in the time before the council at Jerusalem. There's also internal evidences, the way he refers to people, the way he refers to different things. Does that answer your question, Cliff? Questions about the book or verses in there? Chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Yeah, church discipline is, is there, um, helping each other. Right. Now, there, there are a lot of churches today debating what it means to catch someone in sin and to restore him gently. What that means, what church discipline ought to look like. Um, I mean, Paul obviously speaks for church discipline in several areas. And so it's an interesting passage. But then there's that that part of, of taking care of one another, like you said, John, that carrying each other's burdens and 
One of my favorite verses is in verse 3. He's just so blunt. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I think the New Living Translation says, if you think you're better than your brother, you're wrong. It's not true. I just love that verse. Other comments, questions, observations? Yeah, probably, he probably had what they called an amanuesis. What we call today an administrative assistant, used to be known as a secretary. Um, somebody wrote, he probably dictated this. Uh, and other letters. He probably, that, that was a, a, a pretty, uh, that was a pretty commonplace thing. That, hey, and so there's debate about that. Galatians is one of those books they're pretty sure because he says, see how big I write, I write in my own hands. By the way, that's one of the verses that people say he must not have been able to see very well. There's also that part in Galatians where he says, uh, I know you would have given me your own eyes, taken them out if you could. So there are people that say that his thorn in the flesh may have been eyesight or being able to see properly or something. And so there's, there's, that's very good evidence that somebody was there writing for him um, just what he wrote. So he, he dictates it. They write the words. Um, there's some that think the, uh, that uh, Luke took that responsibility at some point in his journeys. Dr. Luke, who came with him, Barnabas may have, or he may have uh, had. Uh, there's another letter, and I cannot remember the letter now. We may have already read it, or we may not have, where the amanuensis, like makes reference to himself. I can't remember what it is. We'll find it along the way. So probably Bill. Alan? He wasn't real happy. Paul, here's the thing that, that, that you get a real sense about Paul. is uh, um, Paul, the one issue that fired him up were these Judaizers. Because he would go in, he'd plant a church, he'd get it to the point, where, okay, I can leave here and I can go to another place. And then as he went to the other place, these guys are almost following him right behind him going, well, what Paul told you was okay, but that's not the whole story. And they destroy everything he had done. And Paul just, you can tell, he just gets fired up about it. I mean, he gets in Peter's face about this issue. He goes to the church council at Jerusalem and he gets fired up about this issue. By the end of this chapter, he's saying, what in the world are you doing? I mean, you, you were freed. Why are you going back to slavery? I mean, it's just, he, he just gets upset. He's passionate about it. One of the things that I love about Paul is he's passionate. And somebody said the other day, I've shared this with the staff a couple of times now, a book I read at Brazil. So the thing that, that you see in Scripture is God doesn't, when he transforms you by the power of his grace, it doesn't mean he changes your personality necessarily. He just changes the direction of what your personality is. So he says Paul was a passionate prosecutor of the church went after the church persecuted them prosecuted them killed people in it and when he's saved he doesn't become a uh, one one for one uh, commentator i said read namby pamby love all people kind of person he becomes a passionate portrayer of the truth and so you see in him in galatians especially this listen i love you but we got to get down to business for a minute. And he does pepper, he does kind of add a little salt in every now and then to make it a little more more pleasing as it goes down. You know, at the 
In chapter 1, verse 15, oh, I'm looking at Ephesians. Maybe that's why it's a little more pepper, a little more salt in there. But, I mean, he'll say things about, you know, and, and you did so good. You, you know, that God opened it up for you, and you did. But now, why are you going back, you know? I mean, it's just definitely there. Most people think by this time there would have been, they, while, while there would have been a, a um, Paul would have had a set of instructions and stories and ideas. And most churches would have someone that would help write those down or to record them or to tell them. And so they would get together and they would have three or four songs they're singing. And Paul usually tried to leave. He, he didn't just leave them without a leader. He would train somebody to lead them. And so he would train one of their own usually to lead them. And then they were responsible for growing. And then with the understanding, I'll be sending correspondence back to you. What we are pretty sure of, and you saw this in Corinthians, this is probably the only letter he ever sent to the Galatians. It's probably not the only letter he ever sent to the Ephesians. And some of these would have been what they call circular letters. So this was written to the churches of Galatia, so not First Baptist Church, Goodlettsville, but to the churches of Sumner County, Davidson County, and Williamson County. So they'd pass it around and read it and study it and all of that. And so they were getting instruction from apostles. There's some that think that, like the book of James, was one of the earliest New Testament writings, and that the book of James, which is interesting because of the way Galatians and James sometimes are pitted against each other, may have been sent out to churches as they were being dispersed, that they would have sent out these. Most people think the book of James, and we'll get to that, obviously, a collection of sermons by James in Jerusalem. So even like today, you go to the store and buy David Jeremiah's latest book. It's just the last eight sermons he preached that they put together, or Max Licato, or those in a lot of ways. That That's what James was. And so they had some of those. Uh, and by the time you get to the early part of the first century, the they had this almost. They had the Old Testament in a lot of ways. They would have scrolls or pieces of scrolls that the synagogue, you know, they would meet at synagogues. So they had some resources. Now, obviously... They weren't sitting together reading through a one-year Bible and then discussing it, but they had, well, they, they would have had access to it. I mean, most, yeah, they would have had some sort of access or, I mean, you have to remember in those days and times, like Paul would have known the Old Testament because he would have trained in it for years, been able to quote large sections of it, and there would have been other Jews that even if the Gentiles couldn't go in and see the scroll, obviously, in a synagogue, that the Jews could say, well, what it says in Isaiah is this. And they would have been able, and they wouldn't have had the kind of skepticism that would have today if somebody walked in and said, well, the book of Isaiah says this. Well, where? Well, I want to see it. Where is it? They wouldn't have had that kind of skepticism. Yeah. And here's the thing I would say. They understood it better than we do. Because we have to, we, when we read Galatians, we have to try to figure out what situation they're talking about. They knew. We have to try to get, it would have been written in their language. So we have, we have, we have barriers to our understanding that they did not have. If someone writes me a letter today, for the most part I understand it. Now there may be a couple of times going, what did he mean? But you, if I'm in a group, we could figure it out. You know, uh, even uh, Betty, Ms. Robert and Betty Hall got a letter from Dr. Burks a couple of weeks ago. 
And it wasn't the best handwriting in the world. Right, Miss Dottie? Your, your Sunday school class, y'all got it. It wasn't the best handwriting. But between all of y'all, you knew what he was saying. And he, taught, he, referenced, a, he referenced an illness. And he referenced the ramifications. But they knew the situation, so they weren't having to go around. He goes, well, what, do you th- what illness do you think he's talking about here? Right? I mean, they, they didn't have to think that because they know. And so when Paul... Yeah, when Paul references those things, when he says, you know what I was like when I was there. Well, we don't know what he was like when he was there. But they do. So, yes, ma'am, Miss Teresa. What he's saying there is this. And this goes, this is a very good passage to talk about as we get ready to talk about the Ten Commandments. Because that's what he's talking about here. It's what I said Sunday, the last part of what I said Sunday. Uh, that the, the Ten Commandments and the law is to be a mirror, to remind us that we can't keep it, but it was also to be a tutor. Um, he uses the phrase, what's the phrase they use in the uh, New Living Translation? Um, I can't remember. What, what's the phrase that it says the law was uh, a guardian? Is that the phrase it uses in the New Living? Yeah, I mean, it's it's before that, I think. Uh yeah, what, what he's referencing there is the current Jewish system still. Yeah, the, the, the current system that they have not seen the new Jerusalem. There's that contrast between the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. And what he's just saying simply there is the law was good in that it helped us to get to the point where we realized we needed a Savior, that it guarded us, those guardrails that we talked about Sunday were up. But when we came to saving us, it wasn't any good. So why in the world would you go back to what wasn't good enough to save after you have what would save? And I think that's an interesting, because you can see why Jews were mad at Paul. He compares the Ten Commandments and their law and their sacrificial system to the illegitimate child of Abraham. And what I'm doing now is the promised child of Abraham. You can see. And, what Paul, and he says that. He goes, listen, if I was preaching, if I believed that circumcision was still required, why in the world am I getting beat up all over the place? Why do the Jews hate me? That, that's, they're not going to be upset if I say, oh, and by the way, believe what this teacher said. If that's all it amounts to is to remember some good things Jesus said and try to live those, that's not worth getting beat up about. This is a new thing entirely. If I got up this week and said, if I just said what I just said, by the way, these Ten Commandments are important, but they are like the illegitimate child of Abraham. There'd be people in this thing that'd be, what did our pastor just say? What's he mean by that? And that's, that's exactly what Paul says, right? I mean, when we say today, well, the law is Hagar and Jesus and his promise and grace is from Sarah. Well, that sounds nicer than to the Israelites. It would have been like you were screaming in their ear. You know, it's like uh, I saw to them. It was like I saw a video online today, Alabama, Auburn, you know, big rivalry. Parents were in a mall and their child was misbehaving. And they said, I'm going to take you into the Auburn store. And the child just broke down. No. No, not the Auburn store. Just terrible, you know. Alabama Auburn is mild compared to Abraham's two wives and their descendants. 
Uh, anything else in Galatians? It's your last chance on Galatians. Necessary. That's what's saying. What he's, you know, he, that, that phrase, if you believe you have to be circumcised, Christ will be no benefit. What he's saying is, if you're trusting in that for your salvation, circumcision and the law, then why do you need Christ? It's either Christ or you're going to do it on your own. You can't do both. You can't hedge your bets on both sides of the equation. All right, Psalms and Proverbs, anything in there this week? Any Proverbs you especially liked? All right, here's my, my, the, one of my favorite verses of the week. Because I, one of the things that's just kind of been on my heart lately about us as believers in Jesus Christ in America is all of the things that we put our trust in instead of putting our trust in the Lord. All of the things that we have are societal structures, our political structures, our school systems, our uh, workplaces, our economy. Lots of things that we put our trust in instead or in place of or in front of putting our trust in the Lord. And there is this, uh, it's on September 19th, it's, it's Isaiah 31.1. And it just says, What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help? Egypt was the most powerful country of that time still. Trusting their horses, chariots, and charioteers, and depending on the strength of human armies, instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. The truth is that it just reminds us, uh, in verse 3 it says, For these Egyptians are mere humans, not God. Their horses are puny flesh, not mighty spirits. When the Lord raises his fist against them, those who help will stumble. And just that idea that when we put our trust in all of that other stuff, whatever it is, it's human, mere humans, and it's not in the power of God alone. And so just remember that as we leave this week. We're closing in on being three-fourths done with this. You're doing a great job. Here's what I'm going to encourage you, okay? The month of October is a uh, is going to be a month when we're in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Those will be in some ways like Isaiah. They may be a little tough to get through at times. But once we hit December, we'll be in uh, November and December. We'll be in Daniel, which you'll enjoy. Hosea. Uh, then the month of December, basically, we're reading the minor prophets. I mean, we'll read. There are days you'll read a prophet a day. You know, Obadiah's a few verses basically Jonah will take you two days um, so you're going to read there'll be days we'll come in here and have to talk about you know four books uh, in those last few weeks and so just to be aware that over the next few days it's going to feel a little bit like it did in, in February and March when you were kind of making it through but keep making it through alright get behind a little bit just my suggestion read where you are and where we are, and eventually, maybe it's 2011, but you'll catch up, all right? You'll get there, okay? That's it.